Hey, I want to jump on here real quick and give a big shout out to my buddy Colt Naring. Um, if you're looking for a good custom built saddle that fits mules and fits you, you need to check out Colt Saddlery. You find him on Facebook, Colt Saddlery, and uh, tell him Ty sent you. He will take good care of you. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans. Uh, thanks for hanging out with me today. Um, it's a typical spring day here in Utah. Uh, the wind the wind is blowing, a little chilly outside, um, but you can see green grass coming up. Gives you a little hope of some, some warmer days, although we've had some good weather. Some of the clinics I've been to lately have been phenomenal. Uh, we, we finished up our Arizona tour. Had five uh, really great clinics down there, and they were fantastic. And get home, have a week off to to kind of catch up on things a little bit around the house, get some things going on here, and then we uh, we did our extreme trail riding clinic, and talk about a good time. Um, and that's what I want to discuss a little bit to start this uh, podcast off is talking about this extreme trail clinic. And I want to talk to you about how you can use obstacles for a team building exercise for a confidence building exercise. And I want to talk about how important it is to, to push yourselves a little bit and to push your mules a little bit. So let me tell you a little bit about this extreme trail clinic. Um, it is my favorite clinic. I'm sorry, all my other amazing clinic hosts out there. I appreciate everything you guys do, but this extreme trail clinic this is this is like my baby i love this clinic um i love the results of this clinic the results are beyond uh, beyond a doubt just just so much more than i get out of my regular clinics i mean a lot of you have been coming to clinics for years you know i've been doing shoot coming up next month will be will be 10 years doing clinics and uh it's been great and a lot of um, people make a lot of great changes at our, our, our normal clinics. I'm not saying that they don't, but the, the changes and the team building that happen at this extreme trail riding clinic are they, I mean, they just top it off. Okay. For sure. So some of you listening, you maybe have no clue what I'm talking about this extreme trail riding clinic and that's okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Basically, well, I'll give you the nickname. The nickname is the Rock Crawling Clinic. Another nickname is the Rock Hopping Clinic. <laughs> so pretty much it's a it's a clinic that is entirely dedicated to obstacles. And it will push you to the limit. It will push your mule to the limit. And the team building that comes out of it, the confidence that comes out of it is phenomenal. Um, we go out, we spend three days out in the desert here in Utah, big Canyon country. If you can picture some of the most amazing country God has ever created, that's it. Picture big red walk, uh, red rock walls. I'll try to say that fast. Uh, huge red cliffs, slick rock everywhere. Uh, big open country where you can move around. Not a lot of thick brush to get hung up in. Not a lot of cactus to get poked by. 
but just big, rocky, broken, busted country, huge canyons, huge draws, just so phenomenal. Uh, and we go out and ride in it. People will ask me, hey, can I get, where's the trailhead? What trailhead do you go to? Where do you, where do you do this at? There is no trailhead. There is no trailhead. There is no trails. There's just ways through the rocks. And me and my family have worked on finding ways through these rocks for my entire life. Um, there's some places that we go out there that I know are pretty much just used by me and my family. And uh, it's, it's amazing. So it's a, such a highlight, of course. Um, we like to take videos and take pictures and uh, we like to share them. Now, these days we don't share a lot of video of this particular clinic, mostly because of all the haters out there. There's a lot of dummies out there that just want to bash on the type of writing we do. It's these same people that will drag us down and give us crap for writing in this country. These same people are the ones that probably have their mules or horses kept in a tight little corral, you know, bundled up in a barn. And a big piece of this, and I really want to hit on this today, is mental health. Mental health. A lot of people will give us crap for the physical stuff. They say, well, you know, you're doing that extreme trail ride, and that's hard on the mules physically. What if they get hurt? And usually the people are saying this, they really have no idea who I am and the care that I give my mules. A lot of you that are listening right now, I know my podcast listeners are are pretty tight with me. And you guys know me by now. You know how much I love these animals. And I'm not going to do something stupid to get them hurt. Now stuff happens. I don't need an extreme trail for something to happen. Shoot. Two weeks ago, I was down in Sedona, Arizona. I was riding my nice little colt, Hannah. She's she's four years old now, coming for. And we're just working on following the rope and dummy. Um, I was shifting between a trot and a lope, trying to get her to pick up the correct lead that I was looking for, a left lead. She was having a little hard time. Well, she tripped. This is flat dirt in a beautifully groomed arena. Perfect footing. She tripped, couldn't catch herself, tripped again, went end over end, land right on top of me, rolled over the top of me, all the way over to where I'm laying flat on my belly in the arena. <laughs> I ate some dirt, and she came all the way over to where her hoofs are basically right by my head, and um, we got out of it. But that's on flat dirt, so... It doesn't take hard country to have an accident. You can have an accident anywhere. Luckily, me and my little colt, I love Hannah. She's my favorite mule. Uh, we both come out of it just fine. Neither of us were hurt. Um, so stuff can happen. You can't live in a box your whole life. Get out there. Live. And this mental health that I want to talk about, that the mules get out of this, these obstacles. I'm, you know, you don't have to ride in the rocks to do this. You don't have to ride in the rocks. Um, 
but it, it's just phenomenal what you guys can get done out here with your animals. So we go spend three days out on the desert. We one of the coolest things about it is the people can get to know me and Sky. Most of most of you listening, you you probably have met me inside of an arena somewhere. I do my clinics inside the arena, not so much for the mules to keep the mules in, but mostly to keep you in the human. Uh, like it's a place to gather, a place where I can put on my speakers and you can hear me and we can work through things together. But a lot of people never get to know me outside of the arena. They never get to know me for who I really am, what I do, and why I'm so passionate about these critters. But when you come out to this clinic, this extreme trail clinic, it is such a great experience. We get to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. We get to ride together all day. We get to sit around the fire at night and talk about the adventures of the day and talk about enthusiasm and excitement. And people are so happy and excited about what they and their mules have accomplished. It's just great. And I really enjoy that part of it, getting to know people outside of the arena too, because a lot of you, I only know you also inside that arena. I don't get to meet you in real life. But one of the most common things that people say when they come to this clinic is they say, oh my gosh, now I see, Ty, why you are so passionate about getting your mules centered and truly broke to ride and getting them handy. I see why you are so passionate. Because out there in that rough, that rough, rugged, broken country, they need to be centered. You need to be able to have that mule yield to your leg, be able to move all four quarters, be able to stop and be able to back them, be able to shift up and down and shift up in speed and down in speed just at a moment's notice. One of the things I hear most from particularly just trail riders, they say, I'm just a trail rider, which drives me crazy. Why do I need to have my mule good at transitions? I only walk. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's your, you know, as one of my mentors says, it's your sandbox, your rules, you do what you want. Uh, but for me, in this country, maybe we're going up a ridiculous, steep, slick rock side hill. I might need to get a big boost of energy and get that mule up. And then a few moments later, we might be coming down something really steep where I need to be able to have them in low gear crawling down that mountain. Some people say, well, why do you do this? Why do you ride such tough country? Why would you take your animals there? Well, there's a few reasons, and that's what I want to get into. Number one, this is how you see the country that nobody else sees. There's places that we get to visit, we get to go, that other people don't go because it is challenging. But more importantly, for me, I do this for the mental health of the mule and the rider. These people come to my clinic. They're looking for some confidence. They want to get better with their animals. They want to improve. And, oh my gosh, the mental health that comes out of this deal is phenomenal. The team building is phenomenal. See, what happens is when you try to do some of these obstacles, they can be pretty challenging, right? And your mule might not be sure. You might not be sure as a rider. You might not be confident that you want to do this or not. And you ask your mule to do it. You ask yourself to do it. And you say, I can do this. And it pushes you. And maybe you're a little nervous and that's okay. It's okay to be nervous. You need to be doing things that make you a little bit nervous. If It's like that saying, there's no, there's no uh, growth 
in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. You got to push. And it's amazing. We'll ask them to do this obstacle and they'll get it done. And it's me. Yeah, I'm putting pressure on the rider and they're putting pressure on their mules. And then I back off the pressure off the rider and they back off pressure off the mule and they get a soak. And we just let them soak there. Let them relax. There's a lot of science to this. It's pretty cool. If you have never read the book Evidence-Based Horsemanship by Martin Black and Steve Peters, you need to read it. You need to see how these brains are working. When you're doing stuff like this, it's not just physical, folks. It's not just a mechanical movement. There's a lot of stuff going on in that mind. And the better you can get at understanding how that brain is functioning, the better of a horseman or a muleman or a you know, horsewoman you'll be. It's so important. So you, we're seeing science in action. We put some pressure on. The mule gets uncomfortable. The human gets uncomfortable. Okay? You, you, you get a little concerned. You get a little up. You get a little worried, cautious, curious. And that is the optimal frame, learning frame of mind right there. You help them figure it out. Maybe they, they accomplish the obstacle. Maybe we're just trying to jump up on a flat rock. They jump up on the rock. We let off all the pressure. They get to relax. They get to soak. They get to find relief in the release. And you leave them alone. Next thing you know, you see them licking their lips a little bit. Their head starts coming down. Their eyes are blinking. You you hear that. You feel and you hear that big breath of air. That's what we're looking for. And your mule can find joy in the obstacle. That's the key. It's not about making the mule do the obstacle or the human for that matter. We're not making them. We're not forcing them. It shouldn't be a big fight. I wish I could say it's always been that way, but it hasn't. At one point in my life, it was just a fight. But I've gotten better. And I have now I learned that the value that these animals can really get out of this. If you convince them that they can find joy in completing the obstacle. In a trying, you help them find joy in attempting the obstacle and in, in giving your effort. One of the coolest things that come out of this clinic is yes, mules and yes, humans. You can't have a yes mule if you are not a yes human. You got to be able to say yes to these things and know that you can do it. And then your mule will easily get it done. Might take some convincing at times, but they'll they'll figure it out. The better of, of a yes human you are. So we start slow. The first day, we find these rocks, just a shelf of rocks. If you can picture a shelf of rock, no taller than a step up into your horse trailer. So we know the mules can do it because they got in a horse trailer to get here. So you know that they can jump up at least that height. We're talking. 12 to 16, 18 inches, something like that. Just a little step up. We know the mules can do it. The humans know that the mule can do it, and that is key. The human, you need to know your mule can do it before you ask them the question. So they already have an answer to the question you are about to ask them. Don't ask them something you don't think they can do. That is the rule of training forever for everything. Don't ask them to do it if you don't think they can do it. 
Now, you might be wrong at times, and I am often wrong. That's all right. You learn. You get better. You do better the next time. So, 16-inch rock ledge. They can do this easily. It's rounded. Nothing's sharp. Nothing's going to hurt them. Sand for the landing. Beautiful way to start this out. The meal comes up. They step up it. No big deal. Don't even jump. They don't even need to jump. They go off of it. They step down it. They don't even need to jump down it. Easy, easy, easy. Yeses from the human. Yeses from the mule. Piece of cake. And that first day, all day long, we build up slowly. One inch at a time. One different look at the obstacle at a time. A little different slope at a time. A little different rock. And by the end of the day, we've accomplished some amazing obstacles, some really cool stuff. And we go back to that very beginning spot. And I say, this is where we started. And a lot of people go, nuh-uh, it was, it was more than that. Nope, this is where we started. Are you kidding me? Piece of cake. It looks so easy. But they've worked their way up, and this is the lesson you got to use in obstacles and in turns and in backing up. Start small and take continuous small bites. Don't take big bites, small bites moving forward. And it is so cool the results you get. Getting those mules to say yes. But what happens is you build confidence. We start with that small obstacle. The mule gets it done. That's a yes. You move up just a little bit more. They do it. That's another yes. It's yeses all the way through. And we work really hard to avoid the no's. We also, well, me personally, as I'm directing this show here, I try to watch the mules because... You know, they're all different. They're all different with their athletic abilities. And you need to see that. And also the riders are different with their athletic abilities. Some, you know, some of the riders come and they got, you know, bad knees or bad back. And I need to know these things so I can adjust the obstacles accordingly to fit them and their mules. So I read this. And I don't ask the mules to do anything or the people to do anything that I don't know that they can do. And so one of the things I do in my opening talk that first day is I say, listen, I need you writers to have a little faith in me here. I'm going to do my best to to pair you up with obstacles that I know you can accomplish, but that are going to push you. They will push you. I'm not going to be easy on you. It's going to push you. But know that I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I don't think you can do and I don't think your mule can do. And I want you to do the same for your animal. A lot of people get a little ego driven with obstacles and it's a one upper and I tell all the participants this is not a one upper show we're not doing obstacles to one up another human we are only trying to one up ourselves better than the last obstacle better than the last time better than the last try that's all we're trying to do where it's not a competition one with another and it's important if you are ever doing obstacles it doesn't matter if it's that little trail course in the arena down the road with the 4-H group or you're out here with me doing this stuff, is you you don't want to be ego-driven. You want it to be a good experience for the mule continually. These yeses are so important. And some people can see, oh yeah, the yeses come pretty easy with the obstacles. Oh yeah, you just start small, you build up, you get yeses. It's even before that. I get yeses before I even get to the obstacles. That's why we preach this checklist so hard to y'all, is so that you can get these yeses before you even get out there to the obstacle or to the cow 
or to the competition or down the trail or whatever it is you do, you're building yeses even in your moves. And this translate over, translates over to the, to the writing we're going to do. So we post some of the stuff. We post these pictures on social media. And like I said, we don't post the videos so much because we get a little hate there. And but we'll post a picture. And I posted a picture this last weekend. And uh, it got a little bit of attention. Um, it's me and Riata, who is a seven-year-old. Coming off of a pretty good rock. The rock, by the time they jump off the rock, it's a good four foot jump off. It's a it's a good size jump. Huh? But Riata, you know, she's big, big legs. She can do it. And um I have worked really hard in her lifetime to build up the the physical ability, mental ability to be able to do an obstacle like this. And a fellow on social media asked, Why would I, why would you ever do this? Why would you risk why would you risk hurting the mule to do the obstacle? First of all, I've already kind of answered that a little bit. I try my best to, to mitigate and, and try to ha have as little chance as possible of physically damaging me or the animal. So safety is a priority. Also, safety is a priority because where we do this, I mean, your nearest hospital and your nearest vet, for that matter, is about two and a half hours away. So you're a long ways from help. Um, you're way out there in the middle of nowhere. And so obviously we're doing things that, that we know that, that the mule can do and that they can achieve. And it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be super dangerous. Like it might push you mentally because you're like, well, this is a big obstacle. This is challenging. But in our reality, we're not doing anything that you or your animal can can get seriously hurt on. Now, yeah, accidents happen and they have happened. And if if you're not careful, they will. Um, but again, we're doing our very best. So he said, and Sky posted on basically a, a reply to this guy and says, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, when it comes to the jump sizes we do, you know, if you were, if you were in the jumping, uh, into jumping competition, I mean, we're, we're on the bottom end of the jumping. I mean, we're not asking our mules and these horses to do these huge jumps like they're doing at competition level. It's not that at all. Um, we're not at that level. We're not trying to be at that level. And the fellow went on basically to to talk like, well, that's the that's the point is a lot of these competitions have, there's a lot of heat on these competitions to get them banned. And we, I feel like you're just doing, you know, what you're doing, what you're posting here is giving these, these activists a basically more, more ammunition. <sighs> Nothing I can do about giving activists ammunition. Okay. If they're going to do what they're going to do, um, not much I can do about that, uh, except for my entire career, <laughs> everything else I do is promoting really good horsemanship and mulemanship. You know, everything we do is is all about the animal, the physical and mental well-being. So when we do these obstacles, above all, what they get out of this is some awesome mental health. When when you push these things. 
and it causes the animal to seek and find a way to answer your question. They have to think. They have to process. They have to take in this information. They, they see this obstacle, and they're wondering, what, what does my, my human want me to do with this rock? You know, it's completely unnatural to get up on a rock, right? In nature, this equine would obviously walk around the rock. It just walk right around. It's not going to jump up over it, but we want them to jump up and over it. And so we ask them, and we put them in that centered box that we talk about, and we say, hey, can you do this? And they say, I'm going to try. And again, we've asked, we're only asking them obstacles that we know that they can achieve. They do it. They get a big release. They build confidence. It's just amazing. The mental health that I see of these animals that are asked to do these things, and it's not just obstacle. I'm not just saying extreme trail ride. I'm saying you work cows, you have a job, you actually use these critters. The mental health is amazing. Versus a lot of these animals that get stuck in a stall, and then they go out on a Saturday trail ride, and they nose to tail it all the way around. If, if, you, if you could hook them up and see the dendrite activity, the... The, the what's going on in that mind, you would see a lot more activity, a lot more mental health in that animal that is asked to, to do these jobs, to work cows, to do these obstacles, to think. We want our animals to think. It's so important. As far as the physical part of it, is there risk? Absolutely. I'm not going to say that there's no risk involved. There's risk involved in everything. Like I mentioned the story about me, you know, getting rolled on a couple weeks ago. No matter what you do, no matter where you ride, there's risk. And that's part of the risk you take as a rider. And you accept that. And if you don't, you need to work that out because there's risk no matter what. There's risk walking in and putting the halter on. There's so many stories about Rex just putting a halter on. Okay. So yeah, there's a chance of that. But also physically, doing these obstacles, doing these things, pushing the muscles, is, is just fantastic exercise. And as far as taking the hits and stuff, jumping off, yeah, it's going to be wear and tear over a long time. But so is sitting in the corral getting fat and getting foundered and having laminitis and ring bone. In these things, this that's that's just, that's detrimental too. So you got to weigh all this stuff out. But for me, I really enjoy the mental and physical health that my mules get from this type of riding. And would I recommend it for everyone? No. But for those of you that are game, for those of you that want to learn, want to get better, want to have a really good team building experience. Gain amazing confidence, build your mule's mental and physical health, then this type of writing would absolutely be for you. A big thanks to all those that come out and, and rode with me. Uh, just a great time. Amazing people, amazing mules. And uh, we even had a horse that just rocked on. If you want to see a cool picture of a horse jumping off a rock, uh, go to our Facebook page, TS Mules. And look for a picture of John Sklarski. John was a guest on, on this podcast. I can't remember which episode, but uh, he was a guest a while back. He drove all the way from Minnesota, brought his horse out here to Utah, 
and they rocked it. Uh, pun totally intended. They did amazing. And um, I think he's going to go raise some mules out of this mare now. I said, man, that mare is going to raise some dang athletic mules. Uh, it was really amazing. So, hey, when we get back from our quick break, uh, we're going to cover some questions that have been submitted. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors, Western Mule Magazine. Ben and Anita Tennyson do an amazing job with their magazine. I've been writing for them for a few years now, and uh, they're great. Look up westernmulemagazine.com and check them out. Okay, we are back. Um, we're going to answer some questions. I appreciate you guys sending these questions in. If you have a question that you'd like featured on the podcast, be sure to email me. Uh, my email is ty at tsmules.com. Make sure you put in the subject line question for the podcast. Um, first question comes from Mary Sartori. Mary Sartori. Uh, basically, she has a question about catching. Um, so uh, she's got a mule. She can walk up her walk up to her in the paddock and put a rope halter on. Um, but when she's out in a two acre pasture turned loose, um, she's out of there. She can't catch her. Uh, this mule, um, uh, yeah. So basically, this mule's not getting hooked on, not really caring about her. So uh, she's wondering if she should continue to work in the small paddock until she has things going good um, before she turns her out. So, Mary, um, yeah, a lot of people, you, you'll feel like you have one catching pretty good. And, and, and you can catch any of them in a small pen, even some wild, crazy turds. I mean, you can get them caught in a small pen. Um, but the true test, yes, is absolutely when you turn them out into, to, into a bigger pasture, especially, you know, bigger than one acre, you know, uh, that's when you're really going to find out how they catch. Um, and it's important to have, you know, have some kind of an area to get them caught in. You know, I have people that will email me um, and they say, hey, I have my mule out on 100 acres. Can't catch him. What do you recommend? Or they'll say, hey, I have my mule out on 100 acres. I tried your hard to catch video. It doesn't work on 100 acres. Well, <laughs> obviously not. It's not going to work on 100 acres. Um, okay. So, so you got to be able to get them into a smaller pen uh, to, to get them working for you for sure. So, so that's, that's important to know. Um, so yeah, I, I would keep it in a, in a smaller, uh, corral and work on catching. Um, and in the meantime, I would put the mule in a round pen. If it, you know, ideally if you can keep it in a round pen, that'd be great. But in the round pen, I would actually go through the hooking on process every time. Uh, there's another question that came in, um, that is related to this. So I'm going to kind of answer these two questions at the same time. This other question is from, uh, Diana Levitt. I think it's Diana or maybe it's Deanna. Diana Levitt. Um, her question is with this hard to catch mule is, is it okay to leave a, a halter on the mule, um, so she can get a hold of it easier, like a halter with a lead rope dragging. Um, that's her question there. So for both of you, you you have to catch the mule to get them good about catching. 
So that's the key is to catch them. Now, if, Diana, if the mule already has a halter and leader up on it, you're not catching it. You're just getting a halt of it. So if it's my mule, I don't leave halters on ever. I don't leave the halter on. I've just seen, I've seen a lot of wrecks from it. Mule getting a leg hung up and breaking its neck. And, and I've seen that multitudes of times um, across the, across the U S and stuff, people doing that. So I'm not going to do that, but, but it's not, it's not really the safety factor so much that I'm concerned about. Although that is a, a big factor, of course, it is the fact that I know that I have to catch the mule to get them good to catch. I can't just sneak in there and grab the lead rope and, and have that going. And, and same thing for you, Mary, as you're working through this, you want to go through that hooking on getting them ready to catch every time I've got videos on this on our video library. That, that talk about this, but getting them really hooked on to you, being, being able to roll that hip away and getting them to look to you. I just uploaded two brand new videos of working with a couple of Colts, um, Jack and River. If you go to the Colt starting and look up hooking on with Jack or hooking on with River, you can see how I go through this, getting them ready to catch. These are both Colts that I kind of go through that process of getting it getting them to be able to roll that hip away and, and get them to kind of face me to where I can walk up and I can catch them easy. That's what you want to be doing every day. So Mary, you need an area that you can work on that. And Diana, you need to actually go through that process of, of catching them. Now, if you can't put the hall front, it's okay. Maybe today you just walk up and touch them on the neck. Maybe tomorrow you walk up and touch them on the head. It might take you a week to do those things. I don't know. Maybe the next day you walk up and put the, put the lead rope over their back. Maybe the next day you walk up and put the lead rope over their neck. The next day you walk up and put the halter around their neck. Next day you walk up and put the halter, halter over their nose and then take it off. You can, you can build this over time, Diana. And that's all I would do if, uh, if it was mine. Thanks Mary and Diana for those questions. The next question comes from Sandra Ruppel. Um, Sandra's looking to buy a mule. Um, uh, and this is what she says. Uh, the mule is described to her as safe, but lazy, hard to get to trot, won't lope with the rider. She also says she refuses to lunge. My question is, can you get a lazy mule to pick it up? Uh, I don't need to go fast, but I do like a nice moving walk. My husband's horse is trained to walk fast to get where he's going. And I don't want to be left in the dust or spend the day trying to get my mule to catch up when we do ride together. Thanks, Sandra Ruppel. Okay. Um, so, yes. Uh, you can absolutely teach them to walk out better. The, the main thing is, is you, you want to be able to get them to walk out, Sandra, and do it without having to hustle them all day and kick them and kick them and kick them. A lot of people can get their mules to walk out, but they're kind of stuck uh, just kicking and kicking all day. Um, so what you want to do is, is, is decide, okay, I want a little more energy. So picture in your mind, a little faster walk. And what you're going to do is you're going to get in there. You might have to use your legs, might have to bump them with your heels, with your spur. You, you drive them. And as soon as they get to that, the, they have a little life in their body. You let off kicking, let off driving, but you just maintain your seat position like a little bit forward, like you want to move, like you want to go. You maintain that. 
Now, immediately, they're going to die right off. They're going to slow right down. As soon as you stop kicking, they're going to shudder on down. It's okay. Let them fall down. Don't, Don't kick them or don't bump them with your legs when you feel them about to slow down. Let them go ahead and slow all the way down. Then get in there and kick, 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 kick. Drive, drive, drive. Get them into that fast walk again. Let off. Again, as soon as you let off, they're going to slow down again. Let them slow down. When they walk slower, hustle it up again. So basically you're saying, as long as you're putting forth some effort to to go forward, I'm going to ease up on you. But when you you slow down, I'm going to drive you right there. So find the speed that you want them to go. You might also notice that you probably have to just keep bumping this mule to even keep it just at a general walk. So you might have to teach them how to walk. When I'm starting my colts, um, even in just a colt starting class, uh, you know, we we, we want to teach them to walk. So I'll say, okay, let's get them walking. And so the, the riders will start bumping their legs, kick, 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 kick. And the second the mule even moves, we let off, we stop kicking. It might be the slowest walk of all time. But the point is, is to teach them to walk. That we're looking for movement. And I don't want to have to keep begging them. Because if you have to beg that mule to go, it's it's really hard. It's really hard. Um, and then you're in your situation where you're trying to fix this in an older mule. So when we do the same thing at the trot, I don't want to have to hold them at the trot. So we'll get them up to the trot. Once they're trotting, Ease off, leave them alone. They'll probably instantly drop back down. Let them drop all the way down to the walk before you kick again. So it's the same thing there. So that's basically all, all I do is Sandra. Um, but yeah, you can teach it. Set the standard. Now you also got to consider every mule has a certain potential. Not all of them are fast walkers. So uh, if your husband's horse is, walks really fast, I mean, you might need to consider getting a mule that can you know, a walking mule or something. Okay. Thanks for the question. Next question comes from Michelle Pate. Um, Michelle has a question about bolting. So basically she's had this mule for a while and she went like a good eight months without bolting. And then the mule had a bad day and bolted a couple times. Um, even bolted, just taking the halter off, just took off, uh, so she's asking what she's missing. Did the mule just have a bad day? Um, you, you know, what what's going on? Uh, why is he doing this? Um, so she's she's looking for some some tips on this. So Michelle, uh, the main thing with these bolting mules or horses, and I see a lot of bolting horses, um, less bolting mules, and even less bolting donkeys. Um, you know, it's definitely a flight. The bolting is definitely a flight instinct, okay? Um, they get scared. They get that big cortisol dump, you know, stress. And their first reaction is to flee the scene, get out of there. So basically what we got to do is teach them to be able to self-regulate and to cope with the stimulus that's going to cause them to bolt. Now, some mules can get so touchy that all you got to do is just move or ask them to do any question and they just want to take off. So you got to kind of teach them to find joy, find peace, find comfort in the question. It's kind of like what I was talking about earlier with the obstacles. They need to find comfort in that question. So 
I start really small and I'll do this working with these bolting mules like in a round pin where you're not really worried about losing them. And, you know, if you really want to do a good job, you kind of go back to that hooking on that I talked about uh, just a few minutes ago. Get them hooking on real nice to where you can ask them to go left and right, walk, trot, lope, stop, roll the hinds, do all those things without having a lead rope on them. And then you put a lead rope on them. And, uh, and, and you work through that groundwork checklist. Basically, you maybe you just ask them just to clear the front. And then you stop. You let them soak. Give them more soak time. You'll notice a mule like this. All these mules that are, I've seen that really bolt, they are shut down or they're highly sensitive. Either, either one. The shut down ones, they'll seem really, really quiet. And then you push them just far enough and off they go. They might seem really quiet. And they're kind of like they're ignoring you until you push too far. You ask too much, too many questions, and then they go. So, all I'm going to do, Michelle, is I'm going to go through each, go through the checklist on the ground. But I'm going to have a ton of soak time and a ton of repetition. So I might just come out and work on clearing the front today for a half an hour. That's all I do is clear the front to the right. Stop. Clear the front to the left. Stop. Those soak times might need to be pretty long. If you, like one of my mentors, Martin Black says, if you think you've waited long enough to let them soak, wait just a little longer. So give them that soak time. Help them find that self-regulation. The other thing, the most common cause of bolting, you guys, that I have now found to be so true is we don't ask enough out of our meals. They get very complacent. We don't push and back off. Uh, we just kind of stay floating. And that's really unhealthy, we've learned. To just stay floating and not really um, make improvement and not really ask more of the animal. Um, we, we need to be able to get them aroused, get them lively, get them curious, cautious, all these things. Back off help them learn how to self-regulate. This is so critical. So basically that's all I'm going to do. Um, and you're going to have to do, I, I mean, I'm, these numbers are made up, Michelle, but it's going to feel like it's a thousand to one. So you, you're going to have to do so many good repetitions and get him feeling good so many times to override his desire to take off because those high flight instincts when, when they've gone that far to, to, to fight or flight, you know, those dendrites created in that mind are so solid because they're emergency. It's an emergency deal where they're so scared. Uh, basically, their brain says, remember this. When this happens, do this. This is the way out. And it's a survival mechanism. So he's bolting to survive. It may seem dumb to you. When you're when you're considering this, you might seem really he's doing he's survival. I'm just trying to take a stupid halter off. In his mind, when he bolted, he he's doing it for survival. And at some point, it can also become a bit of a of a habit, a bit of a thing that they just do. Well, I do this when this happens. So you got to consider that. Thanks for the question there, Michelle. I hope those uh, those things helped. I would just start slow from the beginning. Go back doing your groundwork. Lots of repetitions, lots of yeses. Okay, uh, we got a question from Rosemary from Southern Germany. Hello, Ty. I've been in 
I've been an enthusiastic follower of your newsletter, online videos, and podcasts for quite some time now, and have gotten lots of inspiration from your expertise for handling my mules and horses and donkeys too. Um, we're doing quite well on our groundwork, and I'm able to do some steps on the checklist in the saddle. Um, and then she goes on. Basically, she has some questions about driving. Um, she says, I'm aware of the fact that you focus on riding mules um, and are not familiar with driving them. However, I think you are such an expert on these wonderful animals that you might be able to answer my questions. Well, I'm not sure if I'm an expert. Um, I got a friend that he says experts. An X is a has been and a spurt is a is a uh, a, a a drip under of water under pressure. <laughs> so, um, anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. Rosemary, I'm definitely not an expert at all on driving. Okay. Um, but I've been around it. Uh, I am a little familiar, but I'm, I'm not an expert, so I'm not sure I can answer these questions. Basically, uh, she has one question about using blinkers or as here in the U S we refer to them as blinders sometimes. Um, I don't drive my horses with blinkers as I think they should learn to be able to cope with things that are happening around them. I believe I can handle difficult situations if they trust me. I would like to do the same with my mules. Um, so in my experience with driving, um, it kind of, kind of depends on the animal. Uh, my experience with riding though, says that I want my mule completely aware of all situations. I need them to be able to see all the way around them. I like them to be able to take that in and we're not really taking shortcuts, you know, and, and it, one fellow that I know that drives a lot and he's really good. Um, he thinks that blinders or blinkers, as you're saying, are a shortcut, um, basically not doing your, your work to get them real comfortable with, the things that follow them. So basically it kind of blinds out some of that stuff and, uh, and, and yeah, that, that can be fine, I guess. And, you know, I know a lot of successful people that drive that use blinders and I don't think there's a, a pro or a con here. So I can't offer a lot of information there, <clears throat> but I personally would like my mule to be totally aware of everything. There's a friend of mine here in town that, that I, I do primarily most of my driving with, and he feeds with his team in the winter times, uh, at times in the winter. And, uh, he doesn't use blinkers. Uh, he likes his animal to see, and he gets, he does a good job of getting them used to pulling and, and doing all this stuff and being very aware of their surroundings. And, uh, he uses his team to feed, uh, his cows. He uses his team to haul the, the, the youth around here, Christmas Carolyn. I mean, he does a lot with them. No blinkers, no blinders. Okay. And then she's, she has another question. Driving doesn't allow rolling the hinds or doing a one-ring stop. Do you have any suggestions what to do in place of needed? Uh, if if you get in a bind when you're driving, yeah, you can't roll the hinds. Yeah, you can't do a one-ring stop. You can't really do any lateral work. Uh, the main thing is, is to use them up. Um, a, a good friend of mine... Um, He's been on this podcast, uh, one of my best friends. He's married to Sky's cousin. He talked about team uh, getting nervous and taking off, off with him. And he does sleigh rides in Park City, Utah in the wintertime. And he talks about teams taking off, and he just plays it off to his customers as, all right, we're going to go fast for a minute. And he'll just he'll run them uphill and just let them go. All right, let's go uphill. 
And, you know, pulling all that weight, it only takes them a second or two just to, to burn off a little air and they're done. Um, but this question you have about driving is just the same thing that I answer or that people ask me in terms of writing. The key is, is to do a good enough job in your work, Rosemary, that you don't need that stuff. That, you know, glitches do come up, uh, but if you've got a pretty good handle on the animals and they're pretty centered, you're going to be safe and you're going to have a good time doing it. You're not going to need those things. But basically all you can do when you're driving, if you have a problem, is to keep it going or you're going to have to turn them into a tree. There's not a lot of options. So it's best that you, you do a really good job of getting them handy before you commit to a situation that's, that might need that. So these are some great questions today, you guys. I appreciate you uh, sending them in today. Appreciate um, all the support you guys give this podcast. If if I could ask you a favor, if you enjoy listening to this show, would you please leave a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts? I would love it if you left five stars, if you think we deserve it. And tell me what you think of the show. I'd love to hear, hear from you. So, uh, and always, you guys can send me questions for the podcast. Send it right to my email, ty at tsmeals.com. Uh, appreciate that. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. We've got a virtual clinic coming up on April 18th, 2022, uh, talking about what to do, uh, talking about what to do after the wreck. I get a lot of questions about people that maybe have a, have a traumatic situation and what to do now. We've got a virtual clinic. You can check out that on my website, tsmules.com. Um, a lot of these questions get asked. There's, there's answers to them in our video library. You can also check that out on our website, tsmeals.com. And for a full clinic schedule, it's on there as well. Thank you, guys. God bless you, and we'll see you down the road.